Welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, bringing you programs from radio's golden years. Mark Livonier, your host for an hour of comedy. Later in the hour, homespun humor from Lum and Abner and Vic and Sade. But first, the Frontline Theater, an armed forces radio service broadcast called Someone Suitable from March 12, 1944. It's the Frontline Theater. Frontline Theater presents an amusing comedy entitled Someone Suitable, starring Chester Morris and the attractive young screen actress K.T. Stevens. And for intermission entertainment, we have Horace Height making music with his band of musical nights. Welcome to Frontline Theater, men. This is your theater, and every performance is presented especially for you, the men and women of the United Nations. But before we get into tonight's offering, here's Horace the Height and his band of musical knights to play Besame Mucho. Me mucho. Each time I cling to your kiss, I hear music divine. Something new, my arms enfolding you Never knew this thrill before Who ever thought I'd be holding you close to me Whispering it's you I adore Dearest one If you should leave me Each little dream would take wings And my life would be Someone Suitable, starring Chester Morris as Major Howard and K.T. Stevens as Gail Parmenter. As the house lights slowly fade and the curtain rises, we come upon a situation of surprise. When Major Howard came home on leave, he expected to see the twins, his ten-year-old motherless sons, racing around the station platform as usual, and plump Aunt Margaret, their nurse, lounging comfortably and characteristically somewhere in the background. Well, that's what he expected. Instead, he was met by a note. You can find me, the note said, at... For the tenth time, I tell you, my Aunt Margaret's in there. Holy mackerel, for 20 years I've been a stage doorman. But this is the first time I've ever seen a wolf busting into a burly Q theater to see his aunt. But I, uh, look, that's her station wagon parked at the curb. With a blood bank sign on it? Yes. Ah, oh, now listen, chum, I... And don't call me chum. Okay, pal. Now, I tell you what you do. You go home now, see? And you take a cold bath, and then you say to yourself, I'm an officer and a gentleman. Am I showing the proper respect for my country's uniform, busting around chasing cuties? Cuties? <laughs> You don't know my Aunt Margaret. She's got a face like a stone lion and built like a flagpole. <laughs> built like a, a flagpole, a tall one. 
Maybe you better chase cuties. Now, look here, pal. The chorus will be breaking for lunch any minute. Now, why don't you get out of here before it's too... Uh, too late. Too late. Margaret! Aunt Margaret! Oh, Howie! Oh, Land, I'm glad to see oh, you. Oh, well, it's good to see you, too. Throw your bags in the station wagon. Right. Oh, Howie, I'm sorry about not meeting your train, but this was the only time I could sign these girls up as blood donors. Girls! Come over here. Shake hands with Major Howard. He's just back from 18 months in the South Pacific. Listen, Andy, when a soldier's back from 18 months, you don't shake hands with him. You talk her up, Major. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, come now, on. He, uh, Lady Peel's the aristocrat of strip. Well, really, I... I... Charmed, mm. mm. I'm sure. And this is Gail. Come over here and kiss the Major, honey. Oh, but I couldn't, honestly. Someone oh, else. Don't be a schoolmom, Gail. Remember, eighteen months. <laughs> well, why not? Well, really, now, really, I've got to be going. Oh, I was no, happy to have met you all. I'm sure we must see each other again sometime. Oh, blast it all, Aunt Margaret. Let's get out of here. <laughs> You're home, your own driveway. How did it look to you? <laughs> the driveway? Like it had been bombed. Oh. oh, the twins have been planting landmines again. They were the hairy engineers this morning. Oh, Yesterday, they were commandos. I swear I can't keep up with them. Look out! Oh, oh, another tank trap. Where are those kids? Liquid fire, my eye. You lay down that garden hose this instant. And, oh, look. Look who's getting out of the car. Daddy! Ah, hello, oh. you two. You got a couple of bear hugs for your old man? Oh, golly. I guess you'd do with that. Well, do what, Pop? Oh, down there, I, I used to be afraid sometimes. You might not remember me. I'd better go in and start lunch. Hey, Pop. Me up this pole. Yeah, me too, Pop. Okay. Oh, up you go. Yeah. Now, what do you want to do up there? We're saboteurs, and we got to cut Mrs. Ellis' telephone wire. Fine. <laughs> wow. You know, those kids are worse than 15 zeros patting the back of your neck. <laughs> Aunt Margaret, you've done a wonderful job of mothering those two Indians. Oh, forget it. Say, how long is your leave? 14 days. 13 now. Hmm, pretty short leave for a man who's got as much to do as you have. Oh, well, all I have to do is sit in the sun and be the twins' target for tonight and eat the tempting, delicious meals you're going to serve me. Oh, but suppose I'm not around to wait on you. I may be pretty busy myself. Oh, well, the blood bank will give you some time off. Hmm, but the army won't. Why, sure, they... What army? What army? There's only one for me. It's usually known as the United States Army, and I'm joining it. They need nurses. I think I can get a captaincy. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. Oh, what's crazy about it? I nursed in France in 1918, didn't I? It's all fixed, Howie. I hear from my physical any day, and then I'm off. But uh, well, what about the twins? Oh, I'll miss the little devils, but then you do too, well, don't well, you? Of course I do, but, well, hang it, I'm, uh, I'm a soldier. Hang it, I'm a nurse. Well, that's different. Now, soldiering's my job. I've worked at it from the day I entered West Point. Worked hard. And what do you think I did all the years I was nursing? Played hopscotch? <laughs> but you've resigned from active duty. So had MacArthur. You have dependents. Uh-uh, you have. Now, don't split hairs, Aunt Margaret. Can I have a pair of motherless twins kiting around after me in wartime to Lord knows where? Can I? I suppose you want those poor kids put in some institution. Of course not. No more than you do. Well, then who the devil is going to take care of them? Your wife. Why wife? What wife? I mean the wife you're going to marry within the next 14 days. I imagine you can find someone without much trouble. Someone suitable. You're, you're... Of course, you're not too bright, but the uniform gives you a surface appeal. Now, hang it. <laughs> hang it, Aunt Margaret. Once and for all, I'm not getting married, and you're not turning into an army nurse. Is that clear? No, it's merely loud. Now, look here, Holly. 
What's wrong with your getting married again? You've been a widow of five years. Yeah. You're young. It's high time you found some nice young woman to share your life and mother the twins. But I don't know anyone to marry. Oh, I've got that all lined up. Now, <laughs> uh, there's the girl who teaches in the twins' school. Yes. She has quite a way with children. Oh, I see. Then there's Mrs. Ellis next door. She's a young widow and very patient with the twins. Oh, fine. They play very nicely with her four. <laughs> Four. How can you ask me to do such a thing? Now, where's your sense of romance? In mothballs for the duration. But a man should marry for love. After the war, you can find out if you love her. If you don't, I suppose she'll give you a divorce. Then I can come back and take over the twins again. Well, when do you want to meet that schoolteacher? She's really the best I have to offer. Oh, oh what's her name? Abigail. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> Now, you can keep your scrawny all-made school moms, and now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to the twins. After you, they're soothing. What are you looking so sad about, Pop? You don't have to eat this custard. I've got something tougher to swallow. What do you mean, Pop? Someone suitable. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, kids. My mind was wandering. Where were we? I'm sneaking up on that pillbox, Pop. Huh? Oh, yes, yes. Well, you see, we couldn't make a dent on it from the front. But that night, we sneaked around the flank, found their rear unprotected, and smackled. Good Lord. Good Lord, why didn't I think of that before? Excuse me, kids. Where are you going, Pop? To the stage door of the Apollo Theater. You might say I'm sneaking around the flank. <laughs> Hello, chum. Huh? Oh, so it's you again. Tell me, chum, uh, when do the girls come out? Any minute now, any minute. Look, don't tell me you're going to pull that anti-gag again. No, no, this time I'm looking for my wife. Your wife? Mm-hmm. I told you something like this had happened. Go home, I said. Go home and take a cold bath and say to yourself, I... What's her name? Her name? Oh, uh, oh I don't know. You don't know what she looked like. Huh? Oh, oh, I don't know yet. You don't know yet. <laughs> oh, but I'll recognize her, all right. You see, she hates children, especially like that little one over there. Oh, uh, little girl. Little girl, come here. What's cooking, good-looking? What's your name, little girl? Slug. Well, <laughs> Slug, here's a dollar. Whenever you see me talking with a girl, you butt in and bother her. Sit on her dress? Well, no, no. Pull it a cold, bump into her, walk on her feet, ask her for a nickel or something. I'll ask her for a nickel. Here comes one now. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Lady Peels. Why, I say, it's a nice major. Fancy me meeting you again so soon. <laughs> How jolly. <clears throat> How's that? Hey, lady, give me a nickel or I'll spit on your dress. <laughs> oh, you dear, dear little girl child. Of course I'll give you a nickel. Here. Aren't children the darling little things, Major? Yes. I understand you have two of your own. You, uh, you like children? I adore them. <laughs> you know, Major, by a fortunate coincidence, I find myself unescorted at the moment. Skip it. I mean, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I have an appointment. Well, soon do. And don't forget the name. Well, what's the matter with her? She likes kids. I know, that's just the trouble. Well, here's another try. Kissable. What brings you here, Major? Give me a nickel, peroxide. Here's a dime, little character. Buy yourself a beer. <laughs> it uh, wouldn't be me you're waiting for, would it, Major? Uh, no, I was afraid of that. Well, bye now. Hey, look, listen, mister. It ain't that I'm curious. Shut up. See? Here comes the last one. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'd rather you'd excuse me. You're dialing a wrong number, you know. Oh, but we've met. You, uh, you kissed me this morning, remember? Oh, oh, you're Margaret's Major. That's right. Hello again. Give me a nickel, stuck up. Go away. About this morning, Major Howard, I hope you weren't too embarrassed. Give me a nickel. Go away, I said. No, no, in, in fact, I was wondering if you could have dinner with me tonight. Why, yes, I'd love to. Hey, stuck up, if you like that dress, you better give me a nickel. Take your dirty little paws off me. Do you want a spanking? Well, lady, you asked for it. Duck! Oh, look at my dress. Why, you rotten little brat. Take this, and this, and this. There. 
Now get out. And don't come near me again, ever. <laughs> you know, some children can be pretty annoying. Some? All of them, it seems to me. You know, you sound as though you didn't like children. Sometimes I think if I never again saw a human being under the age of 14, I'd be the happiest woman in the world. Little brat. <laughs> now I suppose you hate me. Oh, no, no, on the contrary. Uh, we were talking about dinner. I, uh, I wonder if you could save all day tomorrow, too. You know, a drive in the country and so on. And, and if all goes well, there's, uh, there's someone I want you to meet. Act One of Someone Suitable, starring Chester Mar Come out front now and watch Act Two of Someone Suitable, starring Chester Morris and K.T. Stevens. As the curtain rises and the house lights dim, we find that it is later in the same evening. The young major, his brass polished to a high blitz, his eyes gleaming to a sharp beam, is about to leave for a dinner date. He faces Aunt Margaret in the living room. Well, Howie, what's gotten you all lit up? You're a pretty chipper for a man whose spirit was broken forever a couple of hours ago. Ah, but life is like that, Aunt Margaret. In the midst of despair, there's hope. And at the end of the rainbow, the pot of gold. <laughs> I, uh, I found it. You found that bourbon I've been saving. <laughs> no, I found love. I met a girl downtown this afternoon. Really? Mm-hmm. I believe I'll ask you to marry me. Well, is she someone suitable? I, I mean, is she suitable for the twins? Huh? Oh, that? Well, what's the difference? It's me that's doing the marrying. She, uh, she's an actress, of course. An actress? Well, a, a striptease artiste. Oh. <laughs> now, you look here, Howard. But returning to your question, unfortunately, no. No, she doesn't like children. In fact, she hates, despises, and abhors them. What? Uh, what is it she calls them? Oh, yes. She calls them rotten little brats. <laughs> Neat, huh? Oh. <laughs> I begin to get the idea. Of course, burlesque life does toughen a girl, but I think the love of a good man may reform her. Oh, think you're smart, don't you? Well, since you ask me, yes. But you wouldn't dare go through with it. Of course, we'd probably have to stow the twins in some nice institution. Uh, her drinking spells, you know. Oh. <laughs> Howie, you're bluffing. You wouldn't marry a girl like that and leave the twins in her care. Wouldn't I? Why, my, it's quarter of eight. Can't keep the little lady waiting, you know. <laughs> She'd pick up someone else. <laughs> and, uh... And Aunt Margaret, by the way, I'll be spending all day tomorrow with her. That is, if her hangover isn't too severe. Oh! <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's the deepest sigh I ever heard. A nickel for your thoughts. A nickel? The OPA won't like you. The ceiling price is a penny. All right. A penny. Oh, it's just... I love it out here. It's so peaceful. The whole day has been glorious. I've never been so happy. Forget the ceiling. That's a five-cent thought if I ever heard one. But uh, why the sigh? Well, I, I was wondering if we'd better be going. Way back this afternoon, you said there was someone you wanted me to meet. Oh, Oh, yes, yes, I remember, but uh, things have changed since then. Well, I'm glad. I could stay here forever, looking down at the lake and, and up at the stars. You don't have to look up for the stars. They're in your eyes. Why, you're actually poetic. You surprise me. Well, I'm the one who gets the surprises. I, I can't make you out, that, uh, that business you're in, and yet you don't smoke and you won't drink. But you kissed me before we'd even met. Ah, but I had to be persuaded. Remember? Yes, I remember. By the way, uh, what was the persuasion? Oh, they said something about only 14 days leave. Oh, only 12 days now. <laughs> it never failed. Hmm? Oh, darling. Oh, darling yourself. Why didn't we think of this before? Oh, what's the matter? Didn't you like it? Yeah. yeah, I liked it too well. If you must know, I've fallen in love with you. Is that bad? Yes, very bad. But why? Because, oh, hang it, because you don't like children. Oh, but I do, especially the twins. The... Wait a minute, you, you know the twins? Well, I ought to. They're in my class. Oh, I suppose I sounded hard with that little girl this afternoon, but I was just letting off steam. 
letting off steam. A schoolteacher has to once in a while. Oh, it's the overdose of children you get in the winter. All the pairs of little galoshes you take on and off, and, and all the snowsuits you button and unbutton, and, and all the little noses you wipe. Yeah, but what were you doing down at the burlesque theater? Getting blood donors with your Aunt Margaret. Why? What? Well, this is wonderful. Could you arrange to marry me tomorrow morning? I... What? You're not paying attention. I said, could you arrange to marry me tomorrow morning? Well, this is absurd. We only met yesterday. Well, you don't even know my last name. Don't need to. You're almost through with it anyway. fall in love with anyone this quickly. Can't you? I mean, can't you? Well, yes, but that's different. We ought to, well, you know, think it over or something. I guess I'll just have to fall back on the old persuader. Only 12 days left. <laughs> oh, Don, here I go again. <laughs> it's so crazy, but so right. Here we are, darling. Tonight, my house. Tomorrow, ours. Oh. <laughs> Come in, and we'll break the news to Aunt Margaret. Hello, Pop. Hello, Miss Parmenter. Hello, you Hello, two. Kids. Well, what are you tonight? Commandos? No, we're not commandos. Oh, we're spies. Oh. And we got important information. It must get through to headquarters at whatever cost. I see. Well, meet Matter Harry. You can give your information to her while I go upstairs and get Aunt Margaret. Well, boys, what's the piece of Let me sneak around. Greetings, you old queen-sized Cupid. Oh. <laughs> so you're, you're back from your, your prowling. Ah, oh, don't be like that, Aunt Margaret. She's wonderful. She's marvelous. She's the pin-up edition of Helen of Troy. She's, well, in fact, she's downstairs to meet you. Oh, then you can take her away again. You can't bluff me, Howie. You'll never ask her to marry you. But I already have, a half hour ago. You haven't? Mm -hmm. Oh, all right, you win. You don't have to get a mother for the twins. I'll stay. But you don't get it, Aunt Margaret. We all win, you see. I get a wife, and what a wife. The twins get a mother, and you get your commission in the army. Come on downstairs and meet the future colonel's future lady. Oh, I will. And you can wipe that silly grin off your face right now, because I'll have this, this strip queen out of this house in ten seconds flat. Feast your eyes, Aunt Margaret. There she sits, right between the twins, where she belongs. Now, look here, young woman. You... You... Oh, you. Oh, thank heaven and glory be. <laughs> oh, the scare he gave me. Come here this instant and give your aunt-in-law a great big deal. What's the matter? You, you're as pale as a ghost. Funny. I'd have said my face was red. The twins have been entertaining me. <laughs> Filled you full of important information, no doubt, huh? Very important. There's only one more thing I need to know. Where's Aunt Margaret's shotgun? Gail, what's wrong? You are. You don't want to marry me. Aunt Margaret's forcing you into it. Well, where did you get a crazy idea like that? From your twins. They were spies, and I was Matter Harry. So I'm a scrawny old maid school mom, am I? Now, listen, Gail. So that... the love of a good man will save me from my life of sin, will it? Oh, hang it. That was before yes, I... but I'll do for a governess and nursemaid, won't I? Well, I'd have loved it if... But that's all you want. And when the war's over, you'll divorce me. With an adequate settlement, I trust. Oh, you're unspeakable. Aren't you going to apologize, Pop? Yeah, aren't you going to get down on your knees? What he ought to do is get down on his stomach and crawl, a worm. Good night and goodbye. Now you've done it, Pop. Yeah, now you've done it. I bet she flunked the bowl position basket waving. <laughs> Is that the postman, Aunt Margaret? Uh, anything for me? Not the one you're looking for. Oh, darn it, Howie. Can't you cheer up a little? Oh, I know, but three days. She won't answer the phone and my notes come back and she won't even let a florist inside her door. Oh, this is the letter I've been waiting for. Oh. Oh, no. Well, Aunt Margaret, what's the matter? Oh, look at this letter. But this... Well, this is terrific. Grab your hat, Maggie, darling. Oh, don't rub it in. Now, shut up and grab your hat. We're sneaking around the flank again. Hello, the John Marshall Grammar School? How is it? 
Quiet, quiet. The class is dismissed. Scram. Last one out on the playground is a Japanese. You look here, Major Howard. If you think I'm going to stand here in my own classroom and be pushed around like... Don't, a... darling. Now read this letter. Take your arms away from me. Oh, Gail, he still wants to marry you. Naturally. I have a knack with children. And the love of a good man will patch up my shortcomings. Oh, don't blather. Read that letter. That'll show you he's really in love with you. He'll never, never, never make me believe that. What does the letter say? It says... Oh, well, that idiot of an army doctor turned me down. Said I'm 20 pounds underweight. You see? Aunt Margaret will still be around to take care of the twins, so I'm not asking you to marry me for the twins' sake. Just... just for me. But... Only nine days left. <laughs> oh, my darling... And you're sure you don't just want me as a mother for your children? Well, uh, not for these. <laughs> and so down rings our end of the play curtain on tonight's Frontline Theater production, Someone Suitable. The role of Major Howard was played by Chester Morris and the part of Gail Palmiter by Miss K.T. Stevens. Next week, Frontline Theater will present another radio play, and each week thereafter, you will hear radio versions of the best comedies, romances, dramas, and musicals with your favorite stars playing the leading roles. If you have any special play you want to hear in future performances, just drop a line to Frontline Theater, Armed Forces Radio, Los Angeles, USA. Frontline Theater, on tuned to yesterday from March 12, 1944, on the Armed Forces Radio Service. Leading Manchester Morris was also heard in that year on the NBC crime series Boston Blackie in the title role. This is an hour of comedy on tuned to yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Livonier. Now time for an episode of Lum and Abner from their NBC Blue Network days when they were heard four days a week at 6.30 in the evening. This episode broadcast live on June 12, 1942. The makers of Alka-Seltzer bring you Lum and Abner. what your plans are for this weekend. Going to have a little time off for relaxation? Maybe you're planning a picnic or a party with friends, a round or two of golf, or a day of working around the yard in the garden. Well, whatever your plans, we hope they work out just fine. May we suggest that you keep a package of Alka-Seltzer tablets handy. And now, let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well... The old fellows finally discovered they didn't need a poetic license to write verses for their new greeting card business, so they're forging ahead in this enterprise. However, they were forced to interrupt their poetic activities long enough to attend a first aid class today. And so as we look in on the little community, we find Mousy Gray in charge of the Jotham Down store and library, as well as the Edwards and Gray Publishing Company. Cedric Weehunt, who is still having trouble with his love life, has just entered. Listen. Oh, hello, Cedric. Hello, Mr. Mousy. Whereabouts are Mr. Long and Mr. Abner at? 
Why, they went to some kind of a first aid class, they said, Cedric. Oh, well, I reckon I better be going then. Well, maybe I can help you, Cedric. See, they left me in charge of both the store and the publishing company. Did you want to get some greeting cards? No, Mom, I just want to say goodbye, that's all. Goodbye? Are you going someplace, Cedric? Yes, Mom, I'm going up in the hills and hermit myself, I think. Hermit yourself? Well, what do you want to become a hermit for, Cedric? Because I hate and despise Gomer Bates, that's why. Gomer Bates? Is he still going with your girl, Clarabelle? Yes, Mom. I hope I never see him or Clarabelle neither one again as long as I live. Hate and despise both of them. Well, now, don't be too hasty and rash, Cedric. Why don't you have a nice long talk with Clarabelle? She won't talk to me. Just hangs up the telephone receiver when I better call her. Well? I bound you she'll be sorry when she finds out I went and hermited myself, though, I'll bet you. Well, that won't win her back for you, though, Cedric. That'll just give Gomer all the more chance to take her places. No, I don't care. I've already picked out a cave for myself, and I'm heading for it right now, too, I bet you. Well, are you really going to live in a cave, Cedric? Sleep there and everything? Yes, Mom. I'm going to stay there all the time, I think. Well... Except for meals. I'm coming home for my meals. Might sleep at home, too, if it gets too cold up there. Maybe I'll just be a daytime hermit. Well, are you going to stay up there in between meals? Yes, Mom. That is, if I have time. See, I have to come in town a couple of times a day. Oh, to get your mail, huh? Uh, yes, Mom, and to play the pinball machine. I wish they'd made caves with pinball machines in them. That's what I wish. Well, I think you're making a mistake, Cedric. I think that you should stay right here and fight for the woman you love. Uh, there ain't no woman I love, though. I hate and despise her now. Oh, no, you don't, Cedric. I can tell. You love Clarabelle. When a fellow hates a girl, that's a sure sign that he's in love with her. Sure enough. Yes, it is, Cedric. How, how, how do you know? Oh, well, I know all that stuff, Cedric. See, I learned about life when I was an editor back in Iowa. An uh, editor? Yes, sir. I never knowed you was an editor. <laughs> well, the Young Men's Saturday Afternoon Bicycle Group used to get out a little newspaper once a month, and I was editor of the Love Advice column. Oh, well, that don't help me none. Yes, it does, too, Cedric. Now, if you'll just wait till Lum and Abner come back, why, we'll go over to my house and read all the columns that I wrote, and maybe we can find a case just like yours in there. Well, I can't wait till I got to get to my cave, I think. Well, now, don't do that, Cedric. That's a mistake. Now, you just stay right here and be firm. Be firm? Why, yes, that's the first advice that I always gave a young man. Be firm. Be dominant. Show Clarabelle who the master is. Master? Yes, sir. Wh who is a master? Why, that's you, Cedric. Oh. And you've got to prove that to her. That's the way that you can win her back. Be a caveman type. Well, that's what I'm aiming on doing, going to live in a cave. Well, I don't mean that. I mean use caveman tactics, Cedric. Be rough with them like I am. Use caveman what? Tactics. Well, I can't even say that. Well, that's just to uh, act like a caveman, Cedric. That's what that is. Tactics. Yeah, be rough with them. That's the way I am, Cedric. Are you rough, Mr. Mousy? Oh, I'm awful rough. See, that's how I won Gussie for my bride. You can do the same thing, Cedric. Yeah, but I don't want to win Gussie. Well, I mean that you can do the same thing with Clarabelle. Oh, well, Clarabelle won't talk to me long enough to give me time to get rough and tell her who the master is or nothing. Well, Use that's... them Well, you just have to be extra firm then, Cedric. Gussie wouldn't hardly talk to me at first. I tried my best to talk to her, and she just didn't want to have anything to do with me. <laughs> she never. No, sir. But sort of like Miss Clarabelle. I didn't let that stop me, though, Cedric. I was dominant. You was. I looked her right in the eye and said, Woman, if you don't marry me, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Did you sure enough say that to Miss Gussie? Yes, sir. She just laughed and said that I was too little to beat her. Well, sir, that sort of made me mad, Cedric, and, well... The next thing I know, I raised my arm and struck her. Did you actually hit her? Yes, sir, I certainly did, oh, Cedric. What'd Miss Gussie do? Well, the next thing I remember, she was picking me up off the floor, and then she kissed me. Oh, kissed you? Yeah. Oh. And now, why, she's Mrs. Llewellyn Snavely Gray. I, I know you married her. And a mighty fine housewife, too, Cedric. Seems just like a mother to me. Well, that sounds like a good idea, Mr. Mousie, but I don't believe it'd work for me, though. Well, why wouldn't it, Cedric? Well, I don't think Clarabelle could pick me up. I'm too big. 
Well, that's not the idea, Cedric. Reckon I better just go up to the team and start Hermanton. Well, now wait, Cedric. You want to win Clarabelle back, don't you? Well, yeah, I reckon I do, I reckon. Well, now here's how to do it. You just go over to her house. Well, I don't want to go over there, though. Gomer Bates is more likely there, and I hate and despise him. Well, in that case, why, the first thing to do is just break down the door, Cedric. Walk over to that Gomer Bates and pick him up and pick take... Gomer up? Why, yes, sir. Pick him up and throw him I, right out I of that house. I thought Clarabelle was supposed to pick me up. Well, no. You see, you've got that a little wrong, Cedric. See, after you thrown Gomer out, why, then you pick Clarabelle up and throw her in a chair and say... Woman, I love you. I'm the master. Oh, 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 I couldn't do that, Mr. Abner. Clarabelle would think I was touched. Why, no, she wouldn't, Cedric. I might hurt her, though, and then she'd get mad, sure enough. Well, yes, she would get mad. Of course, they always act that way, Cedric, but really, they like it, I'll tell you that. They do, huh? Yes, sir. Women are sure silly, ain't they? Oh, yes, they are, Cedric. Well, I reckon I better get on up to my cave now. It's getting late. Well, now, wait a minute, Cedric. Aren't you going over to Clarabelle's place and be dominant, like I said? Well, I couldn't do that, Mr. Abner. I, I couldn't say none of that stuff. Or... You tickle me, Cedric. You keep calling me Abner all the time. I don't look like him. Oh, I thought I was talking to Mr. Abner. No. I'm where not... is Mr. Abner? He's over at the first aid meeting, Cedric. Oh, that's right. You told me that once. Yes, that's where he is, Cedric. <laughs> I, I couldn't say none of that stuff or throw her in a chair or nothing. Why, yes, you could, Cedric. It's easy to learn, honest it is. I, I ain't much of a hand at learning. I don't catch on to things very quick, seems like. You don't? Well, I'm more the hermit type, I believe. Well, Cedric, now, I'll be glad to teach you. I'll tell you what, you can try it out on me, Cedric. You can just make out like that I'm Clarabelle. Oh, Clarabelle's bigger than you, though. Well, that doesn't matter. Now, all you do is just pick me up and throw me into Lum's rocking chair over there and then say, Woman, I love you. I'm the master. Oh, Huston Shuckins. Oh, now, come on, Cedric. If you expect to win Clarabelle, why, you've just got this to do, Cedric. Well, all right, but I don't think it'll do no good, though, I don't think. Is this how I pick you up? Like yes, this? yes. Now, don't hold me so high in the air, though, Cedric. That's oh, high enough. Well, now, that's high enough. Here it goes, into the chair. Oh, oh. Woman, I love you. You're the master. Oh, no, Cedric. That, that's not the way, Cedric. Did I say it wrong? Well, I don't know about that, but you threw me too hard, Cedric. Look there, you broke Lum's chair all to pieces. I ain't supposed to do that, huh? Why, no, of course not. Be firm, but gentle, Cedric. Well, all right, I, I, I'll try it over again. No, that's all right. You needn't bother, Cedric. Uh, maybe you had better go and live in the cave after all. No, I'm going to do this right. I'm bound and determined to learn it. I'll show that Gomer Bates a couple of things or two. I'll well, wait you. a minute, Cedric. I don't think you're the type for this. I, I believe I am. Uh, sit still, Mr. Mouse here. I can't hold it. Get hold well, of it. Well, now, Cedric, don't pick me up. I, I can get up by myself. Here we go, Mouse. Now, Cedric, put me down. Now, please, Cedric, I'll put use me Mr. Down. Abner's chair this time. Please put me down, Cedric. Don't That's worry, Mouse. I'll, I'll get it right this time. Howdy, Mouse. Yeah. Did everything. Well, for the land sake, look at there, Lom. Grannies, what's going on here, anyway? Who broke them chairs? Get up off the floor, Mousy. Hello, Mr. Long, Mr. Abner. What you fellers been doing here, Cedric? Well, Mr. Mousy's learned me how to be firm and domino and win back Clarabelle. Yeah, but what's wrong with Mousy? Looks like he's hurt. I am hurt, Abner. Grannies, Abner, this looks like a good chance to use that first aid stuff we've just been learning. Yeah, lucky thing we went to that class today, Mousy. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts are you hurt? It's my wrist, Abner. I think I've sprained it. Sprained wrist, huh? Yes, sir. You see, we never taken up sprained wrist today, did we, Abner? No, we never got that far. I reckon we'll have to go back over to class, Long. No, we ain't got time to do that, Sally. Oh. I never meant to hurt him none. It was his own idea. He told me to pick him up and throw him down. Is that the way this happened, Cedric? Yes, Mom. Well, here, I know, because I know what we can do then. Here, Cedric, uh, pick up Mouse again there. Yes, Mom. Well, what are we going to do, Abner? Now, don't worry. I've got it all figured out. You ready, Cedric? Yeah, what you want me to do now? Now, now throw him down again, and this time try to sprain his ankle. We know what to do for that. Friends, why run the risk of a vitamin B deficiency and its consequences when it's so easy and so economical to guard against it with one-a-day brand vitamin B complex tablets? <laughs>
Blum and Abner are brought to you four days a week at the same time. Consult your local newspaper. Lou Crosby speaking. This is the Blue Network. Blum and Abner, on Tuned to Yesterday, from the NBC Blue Network, heard on the 12th of June, 1942. We now wrap this hour of comedy on the homespun front with an episode of Vic and Sade. This endearing series, also from NBC's Blue Network, and heard on February 17, 1942. Again, with radio's home vote, they can fade, written by Paul Reimer. Honey, now I'll have it all done and can have the evening free for other activities. Moving picture show, huh? Big pardon? I think you turn off that school book afternoon for show. I'm afraid I don't grasp the connection. <laughs> you come home from school of an afternoon and sit yourself all fancy and important at the library table with your algebra. Then after supper, you give us a spiel about how you've got your studying all done and would like to take in the Bible. Why, what a fantastic notion. Yeah. Sometimes, Mom, I greatly fear you have a strain of suspicion in your Here's makeup. Here's your father home. Hi. Is that my darling Katie who spoke? Yeah. Hi, girl. And now it's my darling Russ speaking. Good morning. Uh -huh. Here's a good movie on it, the Bible, now that you happen to mention it. Huh? Growing a golden and fourth-fisted Frank Buttleman and... Take this drop in heart of mine, assistant Strawboss Williamson. Mm. My darling Sadie and my darling Rush, it is heaven on earth to see you once again. Your chum Hank got stopped, get a hold of you? Yeah. Weren't you in your office this afternoon? You telephoned three times. I was in the boxing department checking over some materials. I didn't mention to Miss Hammer Street where I was going, so I expect she assumed I'd gone home. Uh, where are we eating supper tonight? How'd the kitchen table be? Kitchen table? Where do we generally eat? Oh, yeah, that was a foolish question. Uh, reason I spoke, how would you people like to have Papa take you out for something? Fine. What's the idea? Well, I just as soon treat you guys to a restaurant meal, and in doing so, I'm doing a favor for a friend. Can't got stopped? Yeah. What's the angle this trip? <laughs> Why, George, Mom, you talk just like the kids at school. Well, I pick up slang off of you. Catch myself talking funny in front of the thimble club ladies sometimes. Uh-huh. What's old Hank got up his sleeve this trip? Hank, you'll be pleased to learn. There's a job. Again? You know a Mrs. Arthur Grace? No. She's the lady who recently opened up the restaurant there on the corner of Monroe and Madison Street. Oh, where you went with Mr. Bohr? The same. What's the name of it, Harry? The little tiny something or The little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy. Yeah. Hank, that stop working there? Mrs. Grice is employing them on a temporary basis. However, if he makes good, she intends to offer him a permanent position. <laughs> What's he do, Gus Cook? He is... <laughs> what? what? Hank is hosting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew it was going to I bet Hank is the prettiest hostess in town. <laughs> I knew it was going to laugh. The term hostess is just a name. Actually, Hank is the official greeter for the little tiny... What do we do? The little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shopping. Yeah. Hank will accost patrons and patrons at the door and bid them good evening, take their wraps, and escort them to their table. They only got three tables. You have eaten there, have you, son? No, but Bluetooth Johnson and myself peeked in the window the other day. They only got three tables. If the establishment flourishes through the efforts of Hank and business starts booming, Mrs. Grice may expand and have ten tables, twenty tables. Well, why don't this Mrs. Grice be her own hostess? She has only two hands. How do you mean? She cooks the food and serves it. That's enough to keep any one person busy. Uh, Hank, in addition to his duties as hostess, will present the customer's bills to him and collect the money. Also, he'll hover around inquiring if people find everything okay, isn't the soup delicious, and all such junk as that. He'll lend tone and courage to the joint. I'll say. When his finances allow it, he plans to acquire a swallowtail coat and striped pants. I never thought I'd see the day when Hank Gustav would turn into a hostess. A hostess in a tea shop. See, the times I generally run across him, he's either sleeping on the Illinois Central Railroad Station platform or sleeping in the courthouse yard or skulking out in front of the Lazy Hours pool parlor. Mm -hmm. And here he is, the hostess at the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shop. Dogly duckling has turned into a swan. Yes, indeed. 
Well, shall we go there this evening and eat? <laughs> All right. Fine. I bet we enjoy a delicious supper. Oh, will uh, us go in there help, Hank? You bet your life. His real function at the restaurant, as you may have divined, is to bring in business. He hopes to bring lots and lots of people into the tea shop. If business uh, booms, why, Mrs. Christ will pay him a salary. Salary? Yeah. What's she paying him now? Uh, meals. Oh. She gives him his meals, see. Uh-huh. If Hank is successful in building up patronage, he'll receive good hard cash. When does he start to work up? It starts today. We will be among his first customers. Paying room for many customers, only three tables. Who knows? The day might come when that restaurant boasts 20 tables. <laughs> be awful darn crowded. If we do, you go eat there this evening, Vic. Yes? Oh, we won't have to come around with that Hank, will we? We'll meet him in his official capacity of hostess, is all. He'll greet us at the door, perhaps shake hands, bid us good evening, seat us at a desirable table, put our napkins in our lap, take our order, and generally make himself affable and pleasant. Well, I don't like the man, and I don't want to come around with him. <laughs> you don't chum around with the head waiter at the Butler House Hotel, do you? Uh-uh. Hank will be as discreet and tactful as the head waiter at the Butler House Hotel. He will hover about us while we eat, and nod, and smile, and be on the alert to do your business. Some more ketchup, Miss Gunn? Yes. You'll find difficulty making any salt come out of that salt cellar, do you, sir? I'm afraid it's the damp weather gums it up. One moment, please, while I run to the kitchen and fetch a salt cellar where the salt really comes out. Hold on there, Miss Gook. Let me wipe the gravy off in your chin. My, what pretty blue eyes. Do you think I'm a nice hostess? Starting this shoe of mine. Look at it all untied. Well, I guess I'll go get a shave and air cut. <laughs> Just imitate Hank Gutstop is all. Well, don't imitate Hank Gutstop anymore, please, right? He's a good boy. How much is the meals at the little tiny feather to weather? Thirty-five cents. That's a set price and pays for a set dinner. Everybody eats the same thing. See, the establishment is extremely modest and operates on quite a small scale. Until business flourishes, they can't offer their patrons much variety. For your 35 cents, you get soup, meat, potatoes, beverage, two vegetables, salad, and dessert. Ms. Greisang tells me is an excellent cook and her food is very tasty. Uh, and here's another thing. A person reflecting on the name... Little tiny petite pheasant feathered tea shoppy might be inclined to feel that their servants would naturally be small. Yeah. You think a dinky thin sandwiches with the crust cut off and teeny little hunk of pineapple with a cherry on top and coffee cups about a third the size of regular coffee exactly. cups. Exactly. But Hank tells me the servants at Mrs. Grice's place are quite substantial. Oh. Uh, well, he won't eat with us or anything, will he? Mm-hmm. Hank. Eat with him. Well, I was thinking that as long as he's working for his meals and here come along some friends of his that he's enticed into the restaurant. He might collect his pay right there on the spot and tell Mrs. What's-Name to slap the meat and potatoes oh, on the table. Oh, Well, I wouldn't put it past him. Sadie, Sadie, Sadie. I wouldn't put it a bit past him. I think we, we can rely on Hank's tact and discretion. Hank got to stop our hostess. You can use the term official greeter if it strikes you as more suitable. Well... Uh, you must wash your neck before you go out to dine this evening, rest my boy. My neck's okay. There's a suspicion of griminess, I fear. No, Vic, I just as soon go and all. In fact, I want to go. I'm interested in tea shops. But if I thought I had to chum around with that old Hank... You I... won't have to chum around with Hank. You will meet Hank only in his official status of hostess. I guarantee that Don't you won't. Don't wonder, Don't wonder, Yeah, will you, Willie? Most likely it's good old pain in the neck. You take Frank Papp and I'll take vanilla. Reliable will do chances. Hello? Yes. Yes, I believe he is. One second. Like me, sir? Thank good stuff, I think. I could hear billiard balls clicking around. Okay, one second. Thank good stuff. A hostess at the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shop. Hello? Hiya, Hank. Oh? What do you mean? Well, what happened? Oh? connections with the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy, or perhaps more correctly, the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy has severed connections with Hank. 
Do you have a quarrel with Mrs. What's-her-name that runs it? Words were passed between them, Hank, you need to understand. Uh, uh, Hank got ahead of himself. Oh? He was working for his meals, you know. Uh-huh. Today was his first day. Yes. Not yet five o'clock, and already Hank is... Yes. Eating six meals. My land. It's not yet five o'clock, and already Hank is eating six meals. Goodness. Miss Grace felt that it was unprofitable setup for herself and her restaurant. Well, I should hope. So, thank good stuff is no longer hostess of the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy. Uh. Thank stuff is no longer hostess of the little tiny petite pheasant feather tea shoppy. <laughs> Vic and Sade, on tuned to yesterday, household names during radio's yesteryear, that NBC episode from February 17, 1942. And that brings to a close this hour of comedy on tuned to yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great shows from radio's past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for listening.